love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. What the world needs now is love. More love. Stars literally aligned. He's always been the one. There's someone out there for everyone. I'm Nancy Regan, your host on the Canadian Love Map. We are on a journey to uncover and share love stories of all kinds. He's never forgotten to bring me flowers. We're hoping we're going to give a little good news to this world. Even in these dark times, the life continues to go on. It's all about compassion, devotion, adventure, and of course, love. Everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs love. This is the Canadian Love Map. Well, love is the most important thing. Your trauma isn't something that you have to get over. It's something that you have to get through. That'll come back in small echoes to, to, to test you. You really have to make a choice to be happy. I've been surrounded by like such amazing things, whether it's my art or my music or my family. I've constantly just focused on that struggle and like, oh my God, I'm so tired and poor, poor me. And it's like, no, man, everything's been there bright as day in front of you, a bunch of lovely, lovely gifts. And, and it was your attitude that, that held you back. Today's love story belongs to Jason Lucas. He is an Indigenous Canadian painter whose art not only shares extraordinary beauty, but has provided him as a 60s scoop survivor with profound healing. It's medicine for many and love in action. This is the Canadian Love Map. Well, hello, my friend. Good to see you again. Tanse, hello. It's nice to see you again. Thank you so much for having me. And good to hear you again. For those right. of uh, our listeners who are just listening, of course, um, I am so excited to have this chat. And I want to say that uh, I have told so many people about you, Jason. I should probably be your agent. What do you think? Oh, okay. I'm in. <laughs> that was easy. That was an easy yeah, business negotiation. I'm totally a yes man lately and totally. That's a no-brainer. Okay. So we got that out. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that, uh, being a yes man lately. It seems like the universe is throwing a lot of really interesting adventures your way. Yes, it certainly has. Over the years, it's just snowballs and gets better and it gets more exciting. It gets harder too, um, definitely. And I've learned to embrace that. And I'm just being a yes man or trying to become more of a yes person is a big part of that. So certainly um, lots going on. <laughs> 
Yeah, I love that. I remember reading a book uh, a few years ago about someone who said they just decided to say yes to life. And when you say yes, you never know what path it's going to take you down. I want to go back to the beginning of your path and talk about your birth and your childhood. And and this is a this is a a fascinating part of your story, but it's also a tough part of your story to talk about, I know. Yes, you bet. Um over the years it's always um it's always been there, you know, as an artist, um even from a young age, you're you're constantly expressing yourself and exploring all these things. And and then you realize that, that buried in all that all that activity was um your individuality the whole time. And the older I got, the more I felt more kind of lost and, and kind of struggling to find that sort of um, direction in my life. And a lot of it was just sitting right there in front of me, like evidence in my artwork. Looking back at that, that big body of work and activity that I did, you could see that that story is like the integral part of my work. Mm-hmm. And if it's a part of my work, then it really had to become something that I was conscious, grew conscious of going, you know what, this isn't going anywhere. And it is part of my work and it's okay to talk about it. So I'd be more than happy to talk about it. It's um, it's an incredible story. It's been an incredible journey. So Take me back to the beginning then. First of all, my name is Jason Lucas. I was born Jason Bigody. Mm-hmm. So I got two wonderful families. And um, yeah, at a very young age, I was born in Flin Flon and then fostered out into a foster home. And then before the age of one, I was adopted into the Lucas family, which is a wonderful family growing up with. And you could talk about them more because I get a lot of my my great qualities from them. And then some of the other ones too, um, families just... You learn that over the years that it's never perfect, but to take those good things away and try and have a, a positive look at, at, at the, your experience, regardless how tough it might have been, has really been key for me. So, yeah, it was a very young age that I was adopted out. And, and growing up with my family, the Lucas family, like my mom was my go-to, my support, Wendy Lucas. and. She had always told me that I was adopted. And at a young age, you don't quite get it. Um, but she would say, you know, you have another family and you have a birth mom. So you didn't grow in my tummy. You grew in somebody else's tummy. And so growing up, it was kind of like, oh, that's kind of neat. You know, I got two families and blah, blah, blah. And then as you get older, um, when I started getting to my teens and stuff, I realized there was parts of me that was kind of having these questions about, okay, well, who's my mom and who's my dad? All this started to come forefront. And then you realize, well, maybe this is um, something I should look into because there's something that doesn't quite feel right. I'm missing something in my life and I don't know what that is. And I think, um, as a child, I was always very nervous, very shy. And looking back now, I, I could really see that I felt that from a very young age that I was somewhat out of place. I felt out of place. I felt different. And then, yeah, as soon as I, I get older into my later teens, 
and um, in adulthood, it really started to come forefront. But that's when my business started to take off. And I became really, really busy in kind of the the noise of everything and what I thought success was going to look like for me as an artist. So looking into um, returning to any sort of family or, or trying to answer some of those questions was really tough because I was automatically just in, in the survival mode of just trying to make it as an entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. a lot of that took a big back burner for many, many, many years. And I hid behind that veil of I'm okay, I'm successful, I'm doing all right. But really, I wasn't. So there was a few stages that, that came up in my life that went, you know what, Jason, you're not okay. And this is tough, and you're going to have to figure this out. So I, that seems like a long answer. <laughs> no, it's, I really appreciate your, you know, your heart, your open heart, and the way you talk about this. And I, I know, Jason, you mentioned having been fostered. When did you put the pieces together and learn about the circumstances of your fostering and, and you know, what the 60s scoop was all about? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I really didn't know about it growing up. Um, it wasn't talked about much in the family. Like, I'd always known that I was taken, that my family didn't want me to go. And I got this information just from little bits of information that I get from from family members when I can. Information came at me at really odd times and just bits and pieces here and there that I would kind of just fumble through and try and put together. And um, I really didn't understand um, the concept and the mechanism of the 60s scoop in my earlier 20s or coming out of of university. And then it wouldn't be until later when I started getting into um, my late 30s and I decided to head back to university because I was struggling with the concept and not knowing entirely the, my circumstances, the situation, the the mechanism that the government was using at the time to to put some of these policies forward as a as an artist i have to do a lot of instructing in the schools and motivational speaking i've taken on a lot of that and i felt that just my lack of education in in those in those subjects was really putting a barriers for me to be able to communicate my message effectively in front of large groups. So I'm, I'm a good speaker, um, but relying on just my charm and that mask wasn't, wasn't working. So it was like, how can I do this uh, more effectively? So I chose to go back to school and go to university. So I, I'm still currently have to finish my fourth year of uh, a Bachelor of Arts in Indigenous Studies and History. But I knew if I did those subjects and apply the, those questions that I had in life to my assignments, that it would be like a no-brainer for me to be able to get this information and attain a degree at the same time. 
patting myself on the back for getting a degree was like a thing too, because I felt like I had things to prove that I could do it as an indigenous person. I can get a degree too. So there were some subtleties of um, kind of spite and like, I can do this. And like, I really didn't have to because my career in art is good. Like I do well now and I can do it and I love it. Um, so to go back to university was a little bit scary because all that took a back burner and then, um, my business definitely took a hit, but the reward that I got from my, from my school and those assignments was just incredible because I could finally, um, learn about the 60s scoop and those, those policies and how it actually happened and, and other things besides the 60s scoop, just, um, Canada's basic history and the history before colonialism, all that stuff has helped so much in my deliverance of, of my art and its message. And I knew it would. So I was super excited to get back to school to do that so I can better talk about that with the youth and have much more control over my emotions. Because not only was I lacking the information, but I didn't have that... Um, that calmness. You talked about it in your book, and I'm so glad that I got to learn a new word from your book, a couple of them. And I think the word was equanimity. Oh, wow. Is yeah. That, um, yeah, I, I yeah absolutely. That. I know exactly That's what you mean, that passage. Yeah. Just having that kind of ability to be composed and confident and be able to talk through some really tough stuff without getting overly emotional. And, you know, especially, especially in front of the kids, right? Like sometimes I could be in front of, right? One day it's, you know, university students and the next day it's like grade fours. And it's like, okay, Jay, it's grade four. Perhaps you could, don't talk about global warming today. <laughs> How do you talk to grade fours about the 60s scoop? What do you tell them? And I can imagine there would be, you know, that there would be a, a huge ton of emotion attached to that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because they're just so young. Like, it took me a while to figure out how to deliver these sorts of things. And I think I'm a lot better at it now, whereas before, um, you could definitely sense when I was speaking in public that I was getting nervous and didn't quite know how to deliver it. So now it's more of showing the the students that I'm happy. And like I say, with the grade fours and, and younger grades, it was really important for me just to deliver in a way that you can say, you know, yeah, I have two families and the Lucas family is, you know, I, I got some really great qualities from my mom, for example. Like I get all my leadership qualities from from there or, and then I could talk about the other families. So you introduce kind of both families under an, a really good light and then explain that, I, unfortunately, uh, government policy at the time didn't allow me to, to stay with my family. And that's a very complicated thing. And you'll learn about that more as, as you go through school and start, as you go through higher grades, you'll get to learn about some of that stuff. It's a bit tough to talk about, I tell them. And sometimes I get emotional and then I just kind of leave it at that. I don't go too much further into it. Kind of distract them a bit and get them onto the 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 more happy stuff. 
you're introducing to the them to the to the issue, but you're not taking them too deep. But you're also providing a, a face and a, a human, you know, a personification that they can always relate back to. Uh, I just wonder how much anger, and this is a this is a huge question, but how much anger have you had to process, and where do you feel you are in in you know that journey? Because I I can only imagine, you know, I know as a Canadian, I'm angry and I feel so many emotions about the children who have been found in unmarked graves across the country, for instance, and finding out and, and you know, now really, I think a lot of Canadians like me are uh, have their eyes open and now want to know more and are on a, a path of saying, I want to be actively involved in, in reconciliation. But for someone like you, you've got to you've got to deal with that personal anger of how your life trajectory was changed by, as you, you say, government policy. Yes. I think as you get older, you, you kind of gain a little bit more wisdom and patience. And when you're in a leadership role and in really tight circles, you, you, you a lot of those conversations can get um, quite heavy. And if there's, not outsiders, but newcomers that are new to that conversation. It's up to us leaders to be able to, to, to somewhat recognize that and be able to provide the space to go, okay, I might be at a certain spot in what I think um, is a good space or whatever in terms of um, me, me dealing with these, um, absorbing these kind of heavy social uh, contexts. But this person might not be, and their learning style can be totally different than mine. So patience and just the ability to listen and go, you know what, this person might need to have their time to be angry. And it might not look at what I assume that might look like. You know, it's going to look different for me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that happens in awkward situations. It might happen in public and it sneaks up on you. And then all of a sudden you're angry. Some of us are a little bit more experienced with it. So we've, we've had these techniques to be able to calm ourselves down when we're getting anxious. It's still a ton of work. Like I still have a ton of work to do. But say for somebody who doesn't have that sort of exposure or communication skills or social skills, it can be very intimidating. And when they're trying to express and be angry, um, they really need to be able to do that, even if it's in an awkward spot. And, and to be open to that and to provide that space is key. I, I, I have to refer to your book again when one of your friends openly admitted that she was not doing good and that she commented, you know, very honestly in front of a large group of people that, no, I'm not going to go out because of this. And it was like, oh my God, like, yeah, no, she was plainly honest. And I think we need to be more like that and patient, especially in those areas. Cause there's, there's times where that anger, it, it just comes back, right? It's, it's not something that I don't think entirely goes away, especially when Canada's, um, governments and public institutions still continue to perpetuate some of this um, Eurocentric kind of white patriarchal stuff. 
You know, you know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Um, Absolutely. Is doing great in a lot of areas of reconciliation. But for some of us students and critical thinkers, we still see a lot of these mechanisms still operating. So that's frustrating. So when things can continue to happen, that scab or that wound is, is torn off again for us. And then we our walls go up a little bit. Um, as we get older, we get a little bit used to it. But it's not, some, it's not fair to have to get used to that. Um, so we can still have those moments where all of a sudden, wait a sec, I'm angry. And that's where I've had to go, okay, this is making me angry, Jason. Take your moment to be angry for 10, 15 minutes. Let it out. Do whatever you got to do. Cry. Yeah. Go to the gym. But don't take it out into the world with you. Because that was my mistake was like, I was getting so angry and irritable over like the smallest things because I could just trace back these, these unfortunate things to what I thought was always a, the colonial story. And a lot of it was, it was like, this is not fair. And this is why it's happening, especially in Canada, right? That's our story. Mm -hmm. So I was like constantly getting upset and it was like, you know, I'm 40 years old now, Jay, and you're such like, you love life. You love people. But you're out driving around, you're upset, you're, you're in traffic, you're swearing, the phone rings, and you're like that instant like, oh my God, I don't want to answer the phone. When you can be like, oh my God, the phone's ringing. I wonder what's on the other line. Like there could be opportunity there. You know, so I had to switch everything around and go, okay, you're going to get triggered again. Your trauma isn't something that you have to get over. It's something that you have to get through. It's something that's, mm. that'll come back in small echoes to, to, to test you. It's like, I can't continue to carry around this anger. So I'm choosing. You really have to make a choice to be happy. It was just my attitude on, on things. I had a lot of trauma and things that I was mad about. We couldn't share the great stories that we do here on the Canadian Love Map podcast without the amazing support of Charm Diamond Centres. They are Canada's largest family-owned jeweler, and they're proud to be putting love on the map. The folks at Charm Diamond Centres are thrilled to be a part of your love story. So visit charmdiamondcenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. That was righteous anger, you know, and I am so amazed by you and your journey and your willingness to to confront all those feelings, which, you know, as I say, I can only imagine. I'd love to talk about how art has been therapy for you and when that started. Oh, my gosh. Um, Art started for me when I was like... In grade two on the on the playground, I used to draw Ninja Turtles and Spider-Man and I'd give them away on the playground. One day my mom <laughs> said, stop giving away your drawings. Charge them a quarter, Jason. And I did. I was selling drawings in grade two during recess for a quarter. And then eventually as I went up to the grades, you know, my prices went up. I remember the first loony I got. I was like, oh, my God. So not only was art it really exciting for me to do in school, like I was always distracted. But I also had a a really, I love the attention I got from it. People would gravitate towards me and praise me. My teachers would praise me and give me tons of support. 
my parents. It was just lovely to have so much attention. And I, I really craved that because I was quite shy. And growing up, looking back now, I realized, yeah, you struggled to fit in, man. Like, you really did. And I'm so happy that I had this universal language that really reaches, like, a lot of people. Like, whether you speak the, la the same language or not, I really discovered that my paintings are like a visual medicine that, that people want to have in their homes. And what a tremendous gift to to be able to think, wow, I have all these paintings that, you know, make people feel great. And, you know, there was times in my career where I was just pumping them all like crazy. I can paint fast and I love <laughs> it. And I love the challenge of it. I love um, the business side of it and seeing how much I can sell and, you know, kind of pushing that. And that's where my ego a while back really kicked into overdrive because I wasn't overly educated. I was good at selling art. So my, I was just like, yeah, let's do this. Whatever we can do, like, yes, yes, yes. Like, let's do it. But then you realize, especially now that I'm getting older and I'm really pushing my art to be the best that it can be, that mentality of, of fast, quick, quick is, is disappearing. And I really want to slow down and I can feel my joy and my presence now really starting to enter my paintings. And I think people can start to see that. And I think they will be able to see that when you look back over 20 years of paintings, all the answers are in there. I could see them. I can see when I was stressed. I can see when all the different phases I was going through. There's so many hidden treasures in there and I just love it. And it hasn't been until recently that I, I really, um, was kind of disappointed and felt a bit shameful of myself and how I've been so fast paced that I, I wasn't overly thankful for a lot of things. And I've been thankful for my art, but I don't think I've honored it fully. I'm starting to honor it now a lot more. I would just be at such a fast pace that I wasn't present or thankful. And finally, after some, some healing, I'm, it's not like you ever are fully healed. We can talk about that more. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a path. <laughs> I, I, you know, I remember having to slow down um, just a couple months ago and I, I really wanted to thank like these, these plants that I was passing on the road because I was finally, finally noticing them and finally noticing that, man, everything's perfect just the way it is. Even though my my mind and my attitude can be frustrated sometimes, it's like, Jay, man, like you've been passing all this like for so long and look at it. It's beautiful. Like slow down. I'm realizing that it is me. It's all medicine. And it's it, it's just such a reward too. And especially with the murals, I know you wanted to talk about that, but the murals I, I do <laughs> Talk about medicine and so emotional. Holy smokes. How did that come about? So you've started doing these enormous murals. And actually, before we get to the murals, let's talk about your relationship to the Northern Lights and, and the theme that is so prevalent through your paintings. When did that start? Oh, that's a good question. It started a long time ago, probably about 20 years ago. 
back then I was painting kind of a lot of different things as out of uh, art school and kind of just exploring a bunch of stuff and taking on a bunch of work. So one of my projects was to airbrush a skidoo helmet and I have this black curtain really? on the back of my wall that I kind of clean out my airbrush on. So I was painting with green and I was cleaning out my airbrush on this black sheet. And I was like, oh my God, that looks like Northern Lights. And so I just went with it. I've been painting Northern Lights ever since. And every single painting has literally sold. It's been a blessing. It was that action of cleaning out my airbrush. It's like the swooping motion. So it was a very expressive way to paint. And I really love that because it really engaged my whole body. You have to use your whole body to paint. So it can become quite like a dance at times. And um, I really love that kind of expression. And I think that's where people would see it, is they would see in the flow of the Northern Lights that I was doing, that I was enjoying myself and seeing those colors and seeing that rhythm. And over the years, that, that confidence and applied training would only strengthen that. So it would snowball, get better. The prices would get increased. The paintings would get better. It just gets better and better. But I'd realized as I went on that this energy that I was come, that I was getting was, was, wasn't entirely mine. And that's where I've had to put my ego aside and go, this is an adjacent thing. This isn't about me or I painted this. I got these messages from the universe. And it's, it sounds cliche, oh, I'm one with the universe. But as a messenger and as an artist, I certainly am. I have daydreams and night dreams where these things come to me quite clear. I can see them. And a lot of paintings I'll never be able to paint because I have them coming through my, through my, um, through the, I can see them on the backs of my eyelids all the time. And it's like, this is this is nuts, but I'm getting I'm getting these visions from my ancestors, and that's where um, the Northern Lights come in because that's those are our ancestors up there in the Northern Lights. So, partly through my healing journey that's ongoing, is I got my my um, Indian name is um, Standing Buffalo Man and Northern Lights Turtle Man. So that's an incredibly uh, incredible honor to carry with me. And to, to really come to realize that this whole time I've had this army of people with me, helping me behind me and beside me. And I haven't been alone. I've just been receptive to what's being, to, to what I'm feeling and to what I'm believing in and visualizing. And it's all on a good path because I'm, I'm working closely with my people, with them in my heart and my spirit. So, and you can start to see that in my work, and it's it's so nice that people see that as 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 medicine. Because I struggled so much trying to think growing up. I'm like, am I acting white enough here and fitting in, you know, mm -hmm. or am I am I Indian enough here, you know, feeling out of place? Kind of just acting what I should feel like people want me to act like, you know. And I would envy other people who were say. You know, maybe a traditional powwow dancer or, you know, medicine. Like, why can't I be indigenous? Like, am I indigenous enough? And it's like, yes, Jason, you've been perfectly indigenous enough. And you've been doing it your whole life. You've been so caught up in the noise of it all 
but thank God you could feel that and you really did the hard work to go, something's off, something's wrong, and what's going to save me is education and working on my art, sobriety, physical activity. Like it was really a big process that started maybe when I was 39, 38. I went, holy smokes, you know, like I didn't think that life was going to, to get harder, but it does and it has. And it's only going to get harder and it should. It shouldn't be easy. It's just my attitude. It's like I had a lot of, you know, a pretty tough hand, but. The only one who's going to play it is you, man. You can play it angry or you can figure this shit out. So, Oh, you're amazing. And I hear you talking about your collaboration with the universe and so many artists in the world, whether they're musicians talking about lyrics and music, whether they're artists, whether they're writers, have that same experience of being an instrument through which something is flowing when when it's really going well. And I really, uh, I got complete chills when you're talking about collaborating with your ancestors. Like that just is such a beautiful image. And the idea that that they are the wind beneath your wings as you go through this this life and you're playing such an important role out there in the community, helping other people understand your journey and the journey of, of so many Indigenous Canadians like you. Tell me how the murals came about, because I, I see you with that image of dancing as painting, and it's on a big scale when you oh do a big gosh. mural. <laughs> yeah, the logistics are crazy. You know, when I first started doing murals, it was probably about 20 years ago, too. And we did quite a few in Thompson. And to be invited back after all these years to do more was great because it kind of took a, a back burner. You know, things in communities always go in stages and you have moments. So the fact that they continue to, these, to do these projects is a really great thing. I'm so thankful to be able to do that. The murals, when they, when they came back to me this summer, um, Oswald Saw from um, Thompson Neighborhood Renewal in, in uh, Thompson, headed that campaign. So him with a, a, a few other organizations came together and, and got the funds to be able to do four large murals in Thompson. So I was very excited to do that because I haven't done it in a long time. But yeah, the, the logistics are tough because in some places the wall's 40 feet high, so I have to get scaffolding, get updated on my, <laughs> uh, my safety training, things and such. Um, and then the wall, the weather, oh my gosh, it was raining for the first 10 days. So I was doing like a whole bunch of prep work at all the different sites and waiting for good weather. And then another one of the challenges was, is I'm right downtown working in the heart of Thompson's downtown. Like Thompson isn't a very big city, maybe 15,000 or more. So on a busy day, but we service a lot of outlying communities in the north. So it can be really, really busy. And people like to gather there when life's good and it's like you have some money to spend and Thompson really comes alive. Now, because we're in the north and because there's a whole lot of different implications when it comes to like the social situation and um, its isolation, that we deal with a lot of the toughest, toughest things up in the north in terms of survival, 
but the the impacts of colonialism you can feel it deeply because of we're we're surrounded by outlying reserves and communities um and with that comes a lot of those um a wide variety of people on different parts of their journey in terms of healing with their trauma and their stories their individual stories so when i'm working downtown in that that heart of that area downtown i get to see a ton of the locals but a ton of the people from other communities and a lot of them too are like i said they're in a they can be in a very tough spot in terms of their their journey and addiction so working in amongst them 12 to 14 hours a day can be can be tough because they everybody wants to talk to you it's very exciting what they see mm-hmm. they're seeing one of their members doing something that's really bright and exciting so they want your attention and when you're four stories up on scaffolding and people are yelling at you like hey what are you doing you're kind of like uh (laughs) just trying to stay alive stop yelling at me (laughs) i'm curious as to how love is showing up in your life right now when you you know just like word association when you think about love what does it mean to you in your life Oh my God, love, you know, it's always been there. Right, right now, it's just flowing through my, through my attitude, and it has to, um, because I would find stress in almost everything because I always felt behind or behind the gun where I haven't quite reached this goal over here, which looks like a straight line to me, but it's actually a big old curvy road, <laughs> you know, so I have to yeah. go, well, wait a sec. I've been surrounded by like such amazing things, whether it's my art or my music or my family. But I've I've constantly just focused on that struggle and like, oh my God, I'm so tired and poor, poor me. And it's like, no, man, everything's been there. Brightest day in front of you, a bunch of lovely, lovely gifts. And, and it was your attitude that that held you back. And now I just try to look like my um, phone example earlier, how I used to despise like the phone going off. It's like, no, this is your business, you know, answer it. You know, like this is your music. (laughs) Let's talk about when you connected with your birth family. Well, I was about 17 years old and I was going through kind of a tough time in my later teen years being kind of a brat and a skateboarder and a rebel and all that sort of stuff. And I wanted to know those answers. And my mom, Wendy, helped me out a lot with that. She's just wonderful with that sort of stuff. And she had reached out. When we looked on, on, on my adoption papers from uh, when I was uh, part of the 60s scoop, interestingly enough, they were all photocopies of my records. But my last name was whited out on all of them. So you could see that the the information in terms of my dad's name and family names was all whited out. Um, so that was a little in- weird to see. It was kind of um, an interesting document. And I know mm. we, we noticed after looking at them that through the rushing process, they didn't white out in parts the first letter of the last name and in some parts the last letter so we discovered that my last name um, started with a b and ended with a y so 
in northern Manitoba, that either makes you a beardy or a bigoty. So, wow, we, you're kidding. Yeah, I'm, first of all, I'm reeling. I'm reeling because of the symbolism oh of God. your name being whited out. Like, holy cow. I know. And, you know, that was initially going to be the name of my book because it seems so clever. The, the whited out part is quite them. Yeah. But, you know, now that uh, I'm moving forward in kind of a different way, I could see that title maybe changing to lighted out. So how did you find them? My, my mom, my mom made a call. Somehow she got a hold of my birth mom. And, and yeah, it was like, this happened really quick. And she's like, yeah, we did this. And then I had a conversation with her on the phone and she was quite distraught, of course, because she was um, upset and a whole bunch of emotions. Unfortunately, my mom passed away before I had a chance to meet her. Same with my birth father. So that's a pretty um, a tough thing for me to, to swallow sometimes because I do feel, um, as I grew up, I miss that. I miss that connection that you could possibly only have with your birth mom. So I, I don't know entirely mm. what that like, but I do feel like I miss her. So you had a conversation with her, but didn't didn't actually get to meet her in person. So Correct. what... Did you feel like you made a connection during that conversation? Uh, my mom, she she struggles in her life with um, some challenges and stuff. So I felt with that conversation, it was tough because it was hard for her to hold herself together. And myself as well. I was quite emotional, but she was very, very emotional. And I can only imagine why. So it was a very tough conversation to have. I did And not you were still young. Yeah, I was right? still you were, quite you were young. Still a kid. Yeah. So I, I came away from that, you know, at the time I was like, yeah, we're kind of like, whatever. I was 18, you know, partying and, and busy just being 18. So it didn't seem like, I seemed like, oh, I could get through this. Uh, I'm a lone wolf. And I kind of embraced that. I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm good. I'm tough. Um, you know, mm -hmm. but as you get older, you realize, you know, I'm, I'm missing these things. Um, so eventually, yeah, I would... Um, I'd meet, uh, I got to meet my brother and my sister at my mom's funeral, a lot of my aunties and stuff. And that was kind of a nice blessing in disguise. It was really nice to meet them. They were all really, really nice. Um, some of them I keep in touch with. Um, but I'm still getting like tidbits of information. There's a lot of um, empty spaces, empty gaps, things I don't know. And I think for me, like, I'm at the point where there are things that I, I will find out and there's some things that I won't. And I'm, I'm at the point where that's okay. Hmm. I was wondering if, um, if beauty from trauma would be a suitable title for this episode. Oh my Does God. Does that resonate with you? I like that. That's lovely. Because you really, I mean, somehow the beauty that you put out into the world is, informed by, you know, your traumatic past, but also the beauty of your, your soul. Thank you very much. I have to extend my thanks to the, the great circles that I've had. I've had tough moments and regardless what I was going through and continue to go through, um, they've been there for me and cheering for me. And I know I haven't been easy the whole time, so I can't thank them enough. It really helps to have great supports and awesome circles like these just to be a part of. So thank you very, very much. You're certainly a part of that.
Well, I just want to say thank you for the way in which you're showing up in the world. You are a teacher and you're a healer and you're putting so much beauty into the world. So Jason, uh, I want to say thank you. And I, I guess my last question is, how do you feel about that? About, about being so appreciated by so many people? Oh my gosh. It's lovely. It's overwhelming. Sometimes it's hard to wrap your head around. There's so many great circles and it's so nice that, um, to be to be part of your circle and to have this sort of platform to be able to share that story is thank you so so much it means a lot to me and i know it'll mean a lot to my communities and my family big shout out to my family for sure both of them the lucas family is wonderful and the biggity family is wonderful i i, I can't express that enough thanks so much for listening to the canadian love map this podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter. We love sharing love stories of all kinds, and that could include yours. So do you or someone you know have an uplifting tale to tell? Reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram using at Canadian Love Map or email producer at podstarter.io. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map.